you're listening to Orgasmic Relationships, a podcast designed to show women how to create deep, passionate, soul-stirring relationships. Each week, we will discuss topics ranging from dating, situationships, marriage, divorce, and everything in between. So if you're ready to transform your love life and shift your perspective about what's really possible for you, you're in the right place. orgasmic relationships. I am your host, Sharika Matthews, life coach and relationship expert. The topic I want to talk about today is centered around this concept of people pleasing. You know, growing up, we have always been taught that people pleasing is such a bad thing. It feel, it's, it's a sign for a lot of people that you really don't find value in yourself and you really don't love yourself. But in the realms of relationship, you would think that people pleasing may actually be a positive thing in the relationship, considering that you're in the relationship to serve one another, or so we think. And so there's so many layers to people pleasing and relationships and the concept of serving one another that I had to bring on my next guest to help us unravel this topic and really come to some sort of inner conclusion for ourselves and how we want to show up in the world and in our relationships. So I've invited Carissa Stepp. Carissa is a life coach and intuitive energy healer who helps clients reclaim their authenticity, their power, their worth, purpose, and joy. Her role is to lovingly support you along your own healing journey to overcome energetic blocks, pain and struggle, and to help ease the resistance you may be encountering and get you back into the abundance flow of life. Carissa joyfully does this through the tools within human design, the quantum alignment system, and her deep connection with source and intuition. Hey, Carissa, and thank you so much for joining me here today. Hi, Sharika. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes. And uh, I know we. this is really our first time meeting face-to-face, if you will, but we have had a conversation before. And <clears throat> I remember in that conversation, us really talking about people-pleasing, and it really struck a chord with me because I think I used to classify myself as a recovering people pleaser, but now that I'm in a relationship and I'm married and the whole concept of serving one another, where does people pleaser fit into that? And when does it become unhealthy? When is it healthy? Like, can you help me make heads and tails out of this? Help a girl out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess we'll start off with just defining what's healthy and what's un- what are what's healthy and unhealthy people pleasing. So people pleasing uh, can be felt healthy and totally fine when you're doing it from obviously your heart, which we all do. It's just when we're able to set boundaries around it, right? So we're not over giving or overextending ourselves uh, to ch- to serve someone else's needs. Or where we're not uh, feeling as though we need to be responsible for other people's feelings mm. or their happiness. Mm. So toxic people pleasing looks like us overcommitting our time, our energy, um, you know, our value or values for the sake of meeting someone else's needs ahead of our own, where we're de-emphasizing ourselves and putting ourselves last. 
Yeah, you said a whole lot there. And the thing that really struck a chord with me was, how did you say it? Trying to manage other people's feelings, right? Or how did you say that part again? Feeling responsible for other people's feelings. Feeling responsible for other people's feelings. And that's something I have seen show up, not just in, in relationships, but even in the workplace, especially as women. Like my background is electrical engineering and I work in a male dominated field. So I remember feeling responsible for, for how other people, particularly how other men felt around me how they perceived me and anything I did to make them feel uncomfortable or less than, or what's the word? Um, Intimidated by me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And those same feelings can show up in relationships, right? Absolutely. 100%. Especially I find with my clients who are strong, powerful, successful women, you know, who are doing very well for themselves, oftentimes when they're in relationships or even when they're dating, they feel like they need to kind of hold that back, right? And they can't really claim those qualities about themselves or even, you know, claim their success that they've had out of a fear that it might emasculate the man in some way. Yeah, where does that come from? Where do we... I know it's it's a societal thing, right? I, I remember, I remember, I don't remember actually being taught this, but I remember feeling and thinking the thoughts of, I have to be careful when I'm around men because men's egos are so fragile. I remember being taught that, because I grew up in a predominantly Christian household, that it was my job as a woman to make sure the man is taken care of, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm. But that's not, like, I get it. But then on the other side of it, I don't get it. Does it make sense? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think it comes a lot from our conditioning and it comes from society. If you even think about the content that we consume as children, right? Think of all the mm-hmm. Disney movies that we've watched. Yeah. Princess has to be rescued by the prince, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. a lot of the conditioning that you know we have experienced, especially like within our generation. I think some of the Disney movies that are coming out now are a little bit, the, the flip, they flip the script a little bit, right? I Which love is- it. I love it. <laughs> Great, because, you know, what happens is when we talk about, let's, you know, not to veer off track a little bit, but when we talk about codependency, right, we have these three different roles within the Carpman Triangle, which is the persecutor, we've got the fixer slash rescuer, and then we've got the victim. And mm-hmm. oftentimes in these Disney movies, in the songs that we listen to, um, in a lot of the, you know, conditioned beliefs around, you know, the women, we're the victims and the man is the white horse, the, the Prince Charming that's going to come in and swoop in and save the day. Yeah. And I think that that's where that gets reaffirmed for us and where we kind of take that on, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah and and you mentioned about the fixer. I, I In my coaching, I notice a lot of successful, powerful women tend to become the fixers in their relationships. And one of the byproducts of being the fixer is also being the people pleaser, because we're trying to, on one hand, we want to heal them, then we want to fix them, but we also don't want to hurt their feelings. So we're trying to balance the emotional responsibility we feel with the, um, just all of the responsibilities that we feel. And then that creates 
I've seen resentment. I've seen anger. I've seen dissatisfaction, unhappiness. It creates all the, the things you don't want to experience in relationships. Yet we find our way still being the fixer, still being the healer, still making ourselves responsible for how they feel. Why is that? As women, we're taught that we're the nurturers, right? We're the caretakers. We're the ones, you know, who can fix it and make it all better. It's mm-hmm. just what has been modeled for us, right? That's the role that our mothers often played, right? When we got hurt, we fell down. Who do we run to? It was often our moms, right? They were the yeah. ones who took care yep. of us. <laughs> you know, they kissed the boo-boo and made it better. And so we learn that as children. We we learn through observation when we're very young. And then, you know, just societally, yes, like women tend to be those natural healers and um, caretakers and nurturers. And so that's where it really comes from. But again, like the way we make sure that we're not doing that in an unhealthy way, right, where we're not self-abandoning ourselves to take care and nurture other people is by setting boundaries. And I think that oftentimes when we get stuck in people pleasing, which really is a pattern and behavior that gets instilled in us as children, it really becomes more of like the self-preservation technique, which we can get more into. Um, But basically, you know, what happens is, is we, we tend to start, um, you know, we put everyone else's needs first before Mm -hmm. our own. We put ourselves at the bottom of the list. And so we de-emphasize the fact that we have needs. So when we're so focused on everyone else's needs around us, we tend to forget that we even have any. We can't even sometimes even articulate what it is that we need. Yes. And that makes talk about that. Like, and this is something that um, and again, I'm putting all my business out there. (laughs) But this is something coming into a marriage. We just got married this past May. And coming into this marriage, this is the skill that I've had to relearn because when we were dating, when we were engaged, I was able to communicate some of my needs to him. But now that we're in the same household, sharing the same bed, sharing the same bathroom, (laughs) sharing the same closet, you know, my needs are a little bit different now that he's around 24-7. I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> a whole different conversation now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, and and because of that, you're cognizant of of your spouse now because now we have this a deeper relationship or a deep, deeper deeper connection now that we're married. And I feel when he's hurt. I feel when he feels sad. I feel when he feels down on himself and I, because I love him, because I care for him, I want to be that healer, be his protector and protect him from all of those negative feelings. But there has to be the good and the bad. Cause I think then this is again, speaking for me is the reason I am so quick to try to fix this so quick to try to heal it so quick to kiss his boo-boo and make it better is because I'm trying to avoid the negative feelings the negative things in relationships and the truth of the matter is there's going to be negative and positives in relationships and you can't always get rid of everything negative but you can work through the negative things So what I would say to you in that situation and hearing what you're saying is 
it's not your job to fix it for him. Okay. He's know, a capable, right? he needs to know that he, and he knows this, right? He's a capable male, right? Yes. You're almost in some ways emasculating him by saying, like, I'm gonna fix this for you because mm. he's capable of doing it himself. And probably what he really needs is someone just to listen. You don't need to give advice. You don't need to give suggestions. You don't need to tell him how he could handle things differently or maybe reframe things differently. It's literally just being able to actively listen to show empathy for the situation of whatever he's going through and then let him handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add to that, affirm that he's able to do it because sometimes, and and I have to be very intentional about this. Sometimes I have to speak life into him as well and say, I I know you got this. I believe in you. You know, you're going to figure this out. I ain't worried about you. (laughs) And you see his little Mm -hmm. chest like getting bigger. So, you know, you're right. You're right. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the emotional support. Right. So that's the fine line between emotional support and emotionally, you know, doing it for the doing the work for them. Right. You don't want to be the one carrying the weight of, say, the marriage on your own shoulders. Like that's an equal responsibility and he has his role and you have yours. And so knowing that like, he's got your support, that you're cheering him on, that you're there to listen to him. So he feels seen and he feels heard and he feels understood. That's what builds the intimacy and the deeper emotional connection between the two of you. Right. And he obviously doing the same for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, when, when not just me, but when other people revert back into the people pleasing role, do they feel seen? Do they feel heard? Do they feel valued? No, because what happens is when we are people pleasing, we are trying to be what we think everyone else needs from us or expects of us. Mm. And so oftentimes with people pleasers, like a great way to kind of assess whether or not you're in this situation is look at your friends, right? We all pretty much, you know, if you're an adult, you probably have friends from all different time periods of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Look at how you behave and how you act when you are with those different groups of friends. Now, yes, like certain people are going to bring out certain aspects of your personality that others may not, and that's fine. But truly, are you comfortable being fully you or do you feel like you have to hide parts of yourself when you're with certain groups of people or what are you hiding? Because if you can't feel comfortable and safe being who you are, you're not going to feel seen, loved, heard, understood because no one's actually seeing the real you. So it prevents you from having deeper, more intimate and meaningful relationships and friendships. Yeah. But for someone who's been people pleasing their whole lives, like from the time they can remember at 10 years old to the beautiful age of, I don't know, 38 years old, right? (laughs) <laughs> how do how do people like that discover who they really are? Because I've heard this time and time again, people say, this is just how I am. I love to please people. I love to give to other people. I love giving all of myself away. But yet still, they feel out of place. They don't feel connected. They don't feel as if they're getting their needs met. They identify as being a people pleaser. How do they break away from that to discover who they are so that they'll know whether or not they are truly being themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think the first place is uh, if you're not getting your needs met, how does that make you feel? Because what happens is over many, many years of not getting your needs met, 
there's going to be resentment, right? That you're going to start resenting the people in your lives that are not meeting the needs when you're giving, 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 and you're not getting anything back. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, first of all, how do you decide who you are? I mean, that's a hard thing. There's a lot of conditioning that needs to be peeled Mm -hmm. back, right? There's a lot of these old stories that might be running through your head and your subconscious programming that need to be rewritten. And so for me, you know, in my coaching practice specifically, the tool that I love to use and that resonates with, I've not found a single person that hasn't resonated with, is human design. Human design is this like beautiful self-discovery tool that really helps you, basically gives you a permission slip to be who you are and to understand all the aspects of, okay, you know, this is why I am this way. I can see it in my chart. I'm living out the shadow expression, right? Or the low expression of this energy. But yet there's this opportunity to express this higher potential, right? Where I get to live in the light and I get to, I get to remove those shadows. I get to do the deep healing work to get there and get back to myself. Because unfortunately, you know, we're conditioned from the moment we're born and our subconscious programming gets recorded between the ages of zero and seven years old. And a lot of that stuff is stuff that we don't consciously remember. It's sitting in our subconscious. So in our relationships, when we are interacting with other people, we are reverting on into that subconscious programming. And that is what is triggering us or what is causing us to react or respond in certain ways. And we don't always understand why. But our relationships, what I love about doing relationship work is that our relationships are the mirror to show us what it is we need to heal within ourselves. They give us the opportunity to get back in touch with ourselves. So start looking closer at your relationships to understand where you might need to do the work to get back to who you are. Yeah. And I want to take a step back here into human design because my audience may not know exactly what human design is. Tell us a little bit more about that because human design is something I've only recently discovered in the past year. And I'm still in the process of understanding it. I've done my chart. I've learned some things about myself that gave me those aha moments. But what is human design? Yep. So it's this beautiful synthesis of um, five ancient wisdoms and quantum physics. So it's Eastern and Western astrology. It's the Jewish Kabbalah. It's the Hindu chakra system. It's the Chinese I Ching. And again, quantum physics. And what I love about it is that it's not like a personality assessment tool where you have to answer a bunch of questions. And depending on how you're feeling that day or where you are in your life, you know, or what's going on around you will depend on how you answer those questions. The human design chart literally just takes your birth date, time, and place and gives you this beautiful multi-layered chart. And Mm -hmm. it can tell you how you're meant to make big decisions, how your energy works, how it flows, how much energy you have versus how much energy maybe you don't. It can help you understand the role you're here to play. It can give you insights into your life and soul purpose. It can show you where you might be stuck or struggling or stagnating. It can show you, you know, where your natural talents and gifts are. It is such a deep and multi-layered tool that you can spend a lot of time on trying to understand your own chart. So it'd be kind of fun if we did like a live chart reading for you one day. I know, right? <laughs> we should do that yeah. next because <laughs> um, I would like that personally. Because <laughs> I, I, learned, I learned on my um, human design chart, I am a manifesting generator and my husband is a generator. And it's funny because we both respond. 
Mm-hmm. And I can see us sometimes, and he's not really into human design, but you know, I, I'm looking at it from the outside. I can see us both waiting for someone to initiate something so that we could respond and do it. It is so funny sometimes. And so, um, but that's, we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> but human yeah. design really is, um, I think it's a great tool to add to your toolbox to better understand yourself and how you show up in relationships. And the other Mm -hmm. thing you said in your previous answer was that relationships really serve as a mirror to show you you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that if you end up with a narcissist that you have narcissistic tendencies about you. We're not saying all of that. But it shows you opportunities where you can grow, show you opportunities where you can heal, show you opportunities where you can evolve into the next best version of yourself if you're paying attention. And sometimes what I've seen is that sometimes people pleasers miss that part of it. Sometimes people pleasers would take what they they'll hear the phrase uh, that relationships are mirrors and then think, oh, this person is a horrible person. That means I'm a horrible person myself and internalize that. And that's not what that means, right? No, not at all. And actually, it's really funny that you mentioned narcissists because people pleasers and narcissists are often attracted to each other. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's a whole like a whole other conversation we can have about that. But when I say mirrors, I don't mean that the person is a reflection of you. It just it points you in the direction of what is triggering within me. And what is the underlying belief that's causing me to react or respond this way? And for people pleasers, oftentimes they have, unfortunately, a low self-esteem, right? They have this belief almost that they're not good enough, right? That they're not enough. And so when you feel like you're not enough, you're going to compromise and settle for things that aren't reflective of your true value. And that's why one of the reasons why people pleasers end up with narcissists. Yeah. And, you know, narcissists in the beginning of a relationship, they're going to love bomb you, right? They're going to come in and they're going to seem so charismatic and they say all the right things. And, you know, they're so attentive. And the people pleasers like, wow, I finally have found somebody who's giving me as much as I'm giving them. Yeah. And that's how they get tied in and roped in to those relationships. And what happens is, you know, the narcissist is feeling like, yeah, like my ego is being boosted. Like she's doing all this stuff for me. She, like I'm the most important person in the world. And I already feel that way. And I have someone who actually puts me up on that pedestal and, you know, sees me in this light, right? It makes them feel really good. It helps their ego. Yeah. But over time, that doesn't sustain because yeah. eventually the narcissist is going to stop the love bombing. And then they're going to enter the discard phase. And that's when the people pleaser is going to start getting resentful because now they're not getting what they need out of the relationship. And so Mm -hmm. there's a whole arc to it. But um, I think it's important for anyone out there who is a people pleaser to be aware of that dynamic because it's not healthy. Yeah. And then to be aware of it, but don't go to the very opposite end of the spectrum because then I hear people pleasers say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just not going to have any expectations. I'm going to lower my standards because no one can love me like I love me. No one can be a me for me. So I'm just not going to expect anything from anyone. I'm just going to do me. So they're going out here, still people pleasing, still giving of themselves to their detriment, but yet they only expect the person in a relationship with to just breathe. They have no expectations of receiving love in return, no expectations of being, of them 
being kind or respectful, like some of the basic, what do I want to call it? the basic fundamentals of any type of relationship, they, they tend to not expect that at all, all while holding on to the grudges and the resentment. And that's not healthy either. No, it's not healthy. And I wanted to kind of touch on something that you said, which is, you know, where people pleasers might feel, well, nobody's going to love me the way I love them, right? Yeah. So here's the thing with that. As a people pleaser, you're actually showing people how you want to be loved, right? By the Mm -hmm. way you treat yourself, not by the way you treat others, but by the way you treat yourself. And if you are de-emphasizing yourself and you are self-abandoning yourself and you are deprioritizing your needs, guess what? You are going to keep attracting people that do the same exact thing. Mm. So the work needs to be done on yourself first. You need to break the patterns. You need to disrupt the people-pleasing cycle. I love it. So how do we do that? Um, you, The phrase I've heard you use a couple of times is self-abandoning. Abandoning. So mm-hmm. how do we know when we're abandoning ourselves? Well, you know, again, if you are compromising yourself, if you're compromising your time, your energy, what you need for the sake of others, you're abandoning yourself, right? You're putting yourself at the absolute bottom of the list. And let's face it, we live in a world where we're constantly busy. So we probably don't really get back to ourselves very often, right? Except for maybe the maintenance that we need to do. Because I think a lot of times people confuse, say, self-love with Mm -hmm. self-care and they're not the same thing. (laughs) Mm. Tell me more. How is that different? Sure. So, okay. So self-love comes when we fully and radically self-accept ourselves. Okay. When we accept every piece of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because when we do that, then we can come to a place of love, right? Of loving ourselves for who we are, appreciating who we are, being grateful for who we are, the gifts that we have, even our weaknesses, because our weaknesses likely, there could be our hidden superpowers as well, Mm -hmm. right? Depending on how you look at it. So um, once you're able to fully love yourself, right, you know that you're worthy. You know that you're worthy and deserve somebody who's going to love you the way you love you then at that point, right? Whereas self-care is just, you know, it's like taking care of your body, right? For the most part, to me, that's what it means. It's like, or maybe your mental health or whatever, which is fine, but it doesn't mean that you actually... Like it doesn't actually build and create self-love. Those are the things that you're going to do to keep yourself healthy in all ways because you care about yourself. However, they're not the same thing. One's like an action and one's like an actual legitimate deep connection to who you are. Yeah. And I know on my journey of self-love, the biggest aha, well, a couple of biggest aha moments I had on my journey was one that I am evolving. Mm-hmm. Allowing myself the grace and embracing that change in me, growing as a person, growing, my body's changing, I'm getting older, not being afraid of any of it, but just really loving all of it. That was a big moment for me in accepting that part of me. Then the other part of big self-love for me was accepting that I was multifaceted, mm-hmm. that I can love different things, I can be different things. I can show up in this world different ways. And for me, the the biggest hindrance for me was actually social media, seeing Mm -hmm. how everybody was really good at 
being an influencer, really good at coaching, really good at speaking. And, you know, everyone just say, find your niche and stick to it. And, and I was like, but okay, I'll do it. But that's not, I don't feel good about it. And I had to break away from what everyone else said I should be and accept the fact that I'm different and I like being different and I'm okay with, I call myself a unicorn now. (laughs) (laughs) And that was such a huge part in my self-love journey. And it helped me to show up in my relationship, a happier person. Mm -hmm. And it allowed me to show up for my clients, a happier person, a more fulfilled person. It helped me to go to work with a pep in my step, even on days that are really stressful because I accepted me, I love me, and I am willing to move with the ebb and flow of who I am becoming throughout my life. Absolutely. I think that oftentimes when people say they feel stuck or they're stagnating, it's because they're not giving themselves permission to grow, (laughs) to expand in some way. And so I love that you're doing that because I do believe that true self-love leads you to finding your joy, which lives within you. And when you find that joy and you're so deeply connected to it, and part of this is also like you find your purpose too. Once you find your purpose, it's like your purpose kind of pulls you forward. And then everything else just seems to get a lot easier, right? You can trust yourself, right? Because that's another aspect of it. There's there's self-acceptance, self-love, self-worth, self-trust. And when you can trust yourself and you trust your connection to something bigger than yourself, whether it's God, the universe, the divine, whatever word you want to use, you feel supported. And you know that no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. You're not going to make a mistake. It's just going to be another opportunity to grow and learn and evolve in some way if it doesn't work out. Absolutely. And that's just perfectly stated. And and on our journey, or as, as people pleasers or recovering people pleasers or wherever you are on the spectrum here, we have to... I feel like your self-love is your ground zero. This is your true north. This is where you come back to when you find yourself going down the road of people pleasing again, abandoning yourself, putting yourself last after everybody, everything else. You come back to why do you love yourself and really identifying who you are and then choosing one small way to show yourself Mm -hmm. that you love yourself every single day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that comes along with celebrating the wins, right? When something goes right, celebrate yourself. And of course, like I think we're often taught that we can't toot our own horn. And that's not what that's about. It's like, you know what? Like I had a great week. Like I got a new client or whatever. And then just like treating yourself to something that feels good, right? Like I'm going to go for a long, luxurious walk today, or, you know, I'm going to pick up the phone and connect with a girlfriend or whatever it is that makes you feel good. Like celebrating those little wins is so important and focusing on that as opposed to focusing on the things that aren't working. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I recently saw someone said that we have been conditioned to be chronic overachievers or chronic, wasn't chronic overachievers or just chronic achievers. We just go from achievement to achievement to achievement without actually stopping to celebrate and celebrate you. And I want to say it's okay to toot your your own horn, even if you're the only one listening, because Mm -hmm. if you don't celebrate you, like you said, you teach other people how to treat you. Mm -hmm. And when you celebrate you, 
in ways that are healthy, other people also join in the celebration because who doesn't love a good party? Who doesn't love a good celebration, right? <laughs> and if Absolutely. they don't love a celebration, those aren't your people. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Right, right. If you're if you're um encroaching on someone else's ego because you're sharing something that went really well for you, then you know that's not your responsibility. Getting back to people pleasing, to feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't share this because it might make someone else uncomfortable. Right. right? Um. And and on the flip side of that, you know, if you if something happens and it doesn't go well, fearing that if you share that, you know, we'll say failure, even though it's not a failure with someone else that you're going to disappoint them. Again, like other people's feelings are not your responsibility. We need to put that on a t-shirt because you said something that, that, that reminded me of something I went through. I was so afraid to tell my closest friends about a struggle I was going through because I did not want them to see me as a failure because I saw myself as a failure and in me not sharing Girl, I miss all kinds of blessings. <laughs> like they actually had the answers to what it was I was going through. But because I didn't say anything, I missed it. Mm. I missed it completely. And then by the time I did say something, I'm like, why didn't you tell me? I had a car parked in my, uh, a, a car just gave away like two weeks ago. And I could have gave that to you. Or, you know, I just got this bonus check and I could have given this to you, but you didn't say anything. And I was like, oh, yeah, you guys are my friends. I can trust you. <laughs> But I was so worried about managing their feelings towards me and managing their perceptions towards me that I missed the whole point of the relationship. I missed the whole point of the friendship, which is to be there for one another in good times and bad times. It's, those just are not marriage vows. Those are relationship relationship goals, to be honest with you, right? Relationship Five agreements. People. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we cannot... We, we have to let go, release this belief, release this stronghold we have on managing other people's feelings because it is it does not work well for you. It didn't work well for me. I haven't seen it work well for anybody, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, but I think it points to something that's important to discuss, which is that, um, you know, there's an element of perfectionism within people pleasing. And they mm-hmm. often go, it's like perfectionism is like a form of people pleasing basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we have to get it perfect. We have to get it right. We can't make, we have that fear of failure, that fear of making a mistake because we're going to disappoint somebody. It's the same. It's all the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. When you get right down to it. So when you fully and radically self accept yourself, you know that you're not perfect and you love yourself anyway. And then you can accept other people for who they are at face value too and know that they're going to make mistakes and it's okay. You still love them. Exactly. And being okay with other people not accepting you the way you accept you, because again, it only means they are not your people. You don't have to change who you are to get them to accept you. You just have to continue to be you and allow you, your authentic you, to attract to you the people who are best for you and let it repel those who are not. And it's okay to repel. You not you're you cannot you cannot be open to everything and everybody. I saw this other quote probably months ago that said, if you eat from every plate that's put in front of you, you'll end up with food poisoning. And it's the <laughs> same way. That if you continue to open yourself up to every person who comes your way and to every energy, every spirit that comes your way, you'll end up getting physically, emotionally, and spiritually sick. 
Mm. And so it's okay to do some rejection of your own. It's okay to repel people on your own. And even if your your trusted circle of friends only include three people, those are your people. If it includes 500 people, those are your people. But it's not about the quantity. It's truly about the quality, the quality of people who you have around you, who accept you the way you accept. You actually encourage you to accept you even more. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like a, I want to say, it's like an incubator, really, where you're, you constantly encourage each other to grow and get better and to love yourself more and to encourage yourself more while you're encouraging them more, while you're loving them more. It's a constant cycle of pouring into one another so that nobody's cup ever gets empty. Everybody's mm-hmm. cup is always overflowing to other people's cup where you always have plenty. That's how I envision it anyway. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I've got that visual of like, um, you know, it was like the wheel with the buckets that kind of go around and like they're yeah. scooping up the water from the river and then they're flowing into the next and then into the next. Exactly. And then, that's the image that I got. So I, I love that. That's beautiful. And preach it because everyone <laughs> <laughs> needs to hear it and know it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because people pleasing, and I do get it, there's, On one hand, people pleasing can be definitely detrimental, but it's only detrimental to you when you're not getting your needs met. And in the realm of relationships, especially for those of us who grew up, and I grew up in like the South, so it was straight up, you know, Sunday church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, Friday, we was in church all the time, girl. And, (laughs) And a lot of the Southern Traditions teach you that as a woman, you're supposed to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others. Set yourself on fire to keep other people warm, even if you're burning yourself to the ground. That is what we were taught. And even that's what we were we were shown by our mothers and our grandmothers and how they were always the ones keeping the family together. They were always the ones that were the last to eat, the last to sit, the last to go to sleep. They were always the last. And so we were taught that by watching them. And on some level, like even with myself, I knew growing up that wasn't really how I wanted to become. But like you said, we learned those first seven years and that seven year condition, Lord have mercy. When I got on my own, it began to to determine how I showed up before I even had a chance to to choose something differently. Yeah. And the key to that is setting boundaries. Right. It's really setting boundaries. Um, and it's also helping others feel number one, accountable for their own actions and their own care and making them feel capable, right? Of knowing that they're capable of taking care of themselves too. And that, you know, mom doesn't have to sacrifice herself for the needs of the family, right? Everyone can yeah. pitch in. So it's setting the boundaries of if you're capable of doing it yourself, you're doing it yourself. Mom's not yeah. doing it for you, you know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but is it true? Would you agree that sometimes boundaries can be uncomfortable in the beginning? So for a people pleaser, and I warn my clients about this, the first time you set a boundary in a relationship, you're likely going to get some sort of unpleasant feedback. <laughs> yep. It's going to sound something like, wow, is everything okay? You seem really 
off today or it seems like something's bothering you or wow like i don't know you seem different what's going on you know or yes. <laughs> so people will start to question you but the thing yep. is your boundaries are for you they're not for other people they're for yep. you you are the only one that can set them you're the only one that can maintain them you're the only one that can hold others to it okay yes. i mean you can you can't control their behavior obviously however don't back down, right? Yeah. You set the boundary, you don't back down because eventually people will start to understand where the boundary is and they're going to bump up against it and they might bite you on it and they might question you on it, but it's not your responsibility to over-explain your boundaries. Yeah. It's not your job to manage their feelings about your boundaries. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. only your job to hold them and make sure you know which ones are non-negotiable because, you know, maybe there are some boundaries when you're first starting out is like, oh, like, eh, I don't know, like I'm going to set a boundary here and then someone's like pushing it back on and you're like, oh, I really don't care. Like, it's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Which may be the case and that's fine. So knowing what your bound, which boundaries are completely non-negotiable, which ones you maybe have a little wiggle room on to compromise. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously if they're willy-nilly boundaries like it's just not going to work <laughs> it just yeah. might not even bother setting it so yeah one of the things that I tell my clients to do when they're first learning to set boundaries is set a boundary tomorrow with someone and maybe your boundary is just a simple no or no thank you or um I don't like this whatever that one boundary is set it and then work with it. So when you, after the end of the day, you come back to your journal and you write, write out the boundary that you set. Were you able to keep the boundary? If not, what influenced you to change that boundary, remove the boundary or just, you know, compromise it? And what are the results? Did you get the results you wanted to get? Did you feel good about it? Did you get your needs met? Did you feel heard, seen, loved and, and, and accepted? And then as you keep a track record of how you're doing with your boundaries, you'll begin to see a pattern. You go from compromising everything and not feeling valued to over a period of time, every time you set a boundary, you feel good about yourself. You feel proud of yourself. You feel as if that you're getting respected and heard and loved. And that's is being able to see, I call these your receipts, keep your receipts. So mm -hmm. that you'll see the pattern, because once you see the pattern, it'll give you the encouragement and, and the courage to keep going. Absolutely. And I think it also builds self-trust, right? Because yeah. you, you're now providing evidence to your mind as you're writing this down that you are trustworthy. Because think about like even just the little promises you make to yourself throughout the day. Like I'm going to mm -hmm. work out for 30 minutes every day during the week. Yeah. Every time you break that promise to yourself, you trust yourself a little bit less and you don't yeah. realize it because it's so subconscious, but like, it's the same thing with boundaries, right? I mean, and that is a boundary, right? Like I'm going to set aside 30 minutes every day. Like that's non-negotiable yeah. for me. I need that for my mental well-being, right? And my yeah. physical well-being. And the minute you start compromising on that, you start proving to yourself that you're not trustworthy because you can't even take care of you. Right. So yeah. it is important. And I love that you share that with your clients because I think that's a really powerful tool to write it yeah. down. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a very much a cerebral person. So as an engineering background, I always look for evidence. I always look for mathematical equations, A plus B equals C. And if I can't figure out how to get to C, my brain just doesn't like it. So it's just, this is a habit I started probably, probably like when I was in high school or college, I want to say, just start writing stuff down, not just necessarily as a journal, 
but end up being a journal. Just keep mm-hmm. it a track record. And um, and I started as I've gotten older. In my journal, I have tabs in it. I eventually created a real journal, but in my my personal journal has tabs in it where it has my um my su- success receipts where I <laughs> keep track of the successes I've had. So I've learned to to trust myself. I keep track of answered prayers and miracles so I can learn to trust God even more because mm-hmm. trusting God or trusting whoever you trust higher than you isn't just about trusting him to wake you up in the morning, but it's about feeling heard, feeling seen, feeling love every step of the way. And sometimes we miss those little nuances. And supported. Um, yeah. So I have these tabs where I keep track of everything, girl. And when I forget, I go back and I'm like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Why am I tripping today? <laughs> yeah, totally. Because what happens is like, you know, that monkey mind will kind of jump in when you're getting outside of your comfort zone or when you're struggling with something and the fear starts coming and the doubts come in, right? Like you start doubting yourself. You start worrying about all the things that could go wrong or why you're not capable or whatever it might be. Yeah. And it creates a lot of anxiety. Yeah. But when you come to that place of trusting yourself and trusting God, then you don't have that fear anymore. Like for me, it's like, you know, Self-love is a big aspect of letting go of the fear, but it's also that trust piece. And once you kind of come into that connection of knowing that you can rely on yourself to be a resource for yourself, that you're capable of figuring things out when things get tough, that you can get through anything because you are fully supported by God. And also you have a community and a network around you too that you can rely on. It doesn't seem so scary anymore. And so you quiet that monkey mind, right? You quiet that little inner critic that's buzzing in your ear and say, I've got this and I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing us back and kind of summarizing everything, people pleasing, relationships, women. Mm -hmm. What do we need to remember as we close out this podcast? Okay. So I'm just going to kind of walk you through how to start healing the people pleasing because I think that that's probably important, right? The first thing is obviously becoming aware of how this is playing out for you and what relationships you're really kind of leaning into it because we don't always people please with everyone. Sometimes it's just one significant person. Sometimes it's, you know, a group of friends. Sometimes it's our parents. Sometimes it's an authority figure. Sometimes it's our community. So it all depends, right? And understanding your underlying motivations for why you're doing it. Because sometimes we do it because when we get the recognition for it or the attention for it, it basically, you know, massages our ego, right? It boosts our ego. It boosts our self-esteem. So once you can become aware of what these mistaken motivations are for your people pleasing, you can then begin to identify the self-limiting beliefs that are holding you back right? I'm not worthy unless I'm performing. I'm not worthy unless I'm getting recognized or I'm doing, you know, giving, I'm giving more than I have, right? Then I'm worthy of the love, the attention. And and honestly, like the recognition and attention can get misconstrued as love. So, you know, the awareness, right? Looking at your self-limiting beliefs, turning that into, you know, letting go of those self-limiting beliefs, learning to love yourself and accept yourself. And then it's, Understanding what you need, right? Spending some time and knowing what it is that you need, setting boundaries around it. And that's really what I want people to kind of understand that this is possible. It might sound like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for my whole life. I don't know how I'm going to stop doing this. It's such a part of me. 
but it's totally possible. And with the right support and the right tools, you can do it and you can transform not just your life for you, but you can transform your relationships as well. Absolutely. I love that. And the reminder here is just do it one thing at a time, one step at a time. I don't think anyone has the expectation that you're a people pleaser today and you're not a people pleaser tomorrow. It's going to be a process. So show yourself some grace. Do it one thing at a time, one relationship at a time, one boundary at a time until Mm -hmm. you build up the momentum of the courage, the self-love, the self-acceptance that you need to to completely transform your life. When I think of transformation, this is an analogy that um, that I like to give to people. I think of transformation. I think of the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. When that transformation begins to happen, he puts himself in the cocoon, and there's a lot of mess that happens in the cocoon. There's a lot of breakdowns that happens in the cocoon, but it happens continuously day after day after day after day. Until seemingly to us, he just magically appears as a butterfly. But it was a process between the caterpillar and the butterfly that has to happen for that transformation to take place. So be gentle with yourself. I also just want to let people know that sometimes it's like we make progress and we do transform in some way, but sometimes that same pattern might come up again Mm -hmm. in a way that you're not expecting. So don't beat yourself up over it. Because it just means there's another layer to heal, right? And it doesn't mean that you're going backwards. You're literally just, it's like a new level, same devil, right? Like I love that saying because it's so true because I think sometimes we can really be hard on ourselves and we're like, oh my God, I thought I dealt with this. Like, why am I still here? And it's not that you're still here. You're in a new here. It's just, it's creeping up again and it's just needs a little more attention and that's okay. Yeah. Growth is a constant thing. We're always evolving. And that's the beautiful part about being human. It mm-hmm. truly is. So thank you so, so much, Carissa. I really just appreciate your presence, appreciate your wisdom, appreciate your energy here. And I'm sure our audience does as well. So tell us, how do we stay in contact with you? Do you have any new programs coming up? Um, just give us all the details about you and what you do and how to stay in contact. Sure. So you can definitely reach me on my website, which is just carissastep.com. That's uh, C-O-R-I-S-S-A and then S-T-E, double P as in Paul. Um, I'm also on Instagram, same thing, carissastep. I try to make it really easy for people to find me. Um, But I do have a Ditch the People Pleasing Bootcamp course that's self-guided that's available. If you go on my website, you can find it there. And in January, I'm actually starting a narcissist recovery support group for all of the people pleasers that I've been working with to help them heal from narcissistic abuse, which unfortunately um, can be very psychologically and emotionally damaging. So we're going to be coming together as a group for support. And I'd love to have, you know, anyone join us in this group. It's going to be very special and unique and um, I'm excited for it. So that and also um, I have a book coming out actually uh, this month in December. Um, so it's not just it's not just me. It's me and a few other authors, but um, it's a purpose by design. So it's all about finding your purpose and how I've used human design to get me there. So it might be an interesting read for people who don't have exposure to human design yet and how they can use it to help them. So 
I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Carissa, just just for everything. Um, and I'm sure you're going to be so successful in the book and then with your upcoming programs as well. So thank you again. Thank and you. to so the much. audience here, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Orgasmic Relationships. And as always, be bold, brilliant, and completely unstoppable in the pursuit of your heart's desire in life and in your relationships. I'll talk to you next time.